Hi, I'm Tom Sherrington. And I'm Emma Turner. Welcome to our new show, Mind the Gap, Making Education Work Across the Globe, where we talk about closing gaps in global education through proven strategies and research-based practices. You'll hear our individual unique perspectives, as well as interviews with some of the most compelling authors and thinkers in the pre-K to 12 ecosystem. And now, enjoy today's show. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to uh, this first 2021 episode of Mind the Gap, making education work across the globe with me, Tom Sherrington, and Emma Turner. Hello, Emma. Hi, you're right. Happy New Year. <laughs> Happy New Year. Yeah, and uh, Happy New Year to people who uh, have been uh, listening to our, our podcast version. It's fantastic to see the podcast going out on lots of different platforms, as well as people watching the, the YouTube uh, version. So thank you for joining us. And we're going to be talking in this episode about the key thing which is dominating everybody's thinking, which is returning to remote teaching in in the UK. And I know some people in the US have been doing this all the way along. But uh, in England, for certain, people went sort of back to school and got back into the whole thing of teaching normally again. And now we're back to full-on remote learning with schools Uh, basically online, apart from key work children, till at least February. So that's February half term. So that's really interesting. And a lot of people are talking about it. So Emma, have you you been uh, doing some online teaching yourself? Um, I've been doing lots of online delivery since March, learned lots of lessons along the way. Um, But it's, it's a real steep learning curve because it kind of flips everything you know about delivery, especially assessment and things on its head. So it's a real... A real steep learning curve for everybody in teaching at the moment. And I think uh, there's some great practice out there, some great sharing of ideas and strategies. Um, But we're all kind of in the same boat trying to feel our way through it at the moment. Yeah, so I think what we can do in this episode, we're going to talk about some of the ideas we've had. And I'll be honest, I mean, like like a lot of the things I do when I talk about teaching, I think you have to put your hand up and say, look, I don't do this. myself but i have engaged with it for lots of different people so um i've, I've seen my wife sitting in this chair <laughs> teaching her class even this morning she was teaching chemistry to her, her students via teams and i've heard her to teach many lessons sitting here but i've also seen lessons coming the other way and i've had recently a lot of teachers sharing ideas with me about how they use all the different platforms and it is really interesting because i think there's a big difference between kind of muddling through to kind of cope and realizing that, no, this is, this is the way school is being done. This is a long-term thing. It's not just a bit of a filler. Yeah. And I think that's, that has changed people's attitudes. Cause I even think in the summer lockdown, there was some kind of just like get through to summer and then we'll kind of recover afterwards. But now people see that we have to teach the children as if this is this is the deal. There's no kind of catch up after this. This is the, this is where they will learn. And some people are learning more about their platform functions and things now than but than they did before because they didn't think they perhaps needed to. Is that what you've seen? Yeah, I think that's partly not because teachers didn't want to engage with it. But I think it's partly because the messages that schools were given at such short notice and there was no kind of long term strategy that this is actually going to become. Um, a long-term way of working I think if somebody had said in March you know by 
January, you all need to be completely okay with this because this is the way it's going to go. People would have engaged with it a lot more. It's, it, that's partly to do with the fact that the messages that schools were receiving were, um, you know, they, they just carry on, carry on as normal, carry on as normal. And it's all credit to teachers, the fact that they've responded so quickly um, to actually realising that we do need to get this together as quickly as possible in as in as most effective format as possible. Because like you say, they, it is the way the way that it's going to go. It is the way that it's going to stay. And um, I've just been absolutely blown away by people's generosity, especially those people who beforehand were kind of really tech savvy sharing their time sharing their expertise they've kind of all of a sudden become become the gods of the teaching profession <laughs> people yeah. throwing their metaphorical rose petals at their feet please help me please help me but it all credit to people who alongside everything else their own worries their own anxieties their own concerns about everything have taken on a completely new way of working not least early career teachers who are entering the profession and, and wrangling with all of this so yeah. it is a it is a big learning curve it has been um, not potentially as strategic as it could be, but that's partly because we weren't given the messages in, in good enough time. But all credit to everybody who's really thrown themselves into this completely wholeheartedly and recognised that everything that we're doing is to try and improve the outcomes for the children who are, I say, in the schools, the children of our schools rather than the children that are in our schools. So, yeah, I'm just completely blown away by what everyone's done, to be honest. Yeah, you know, and one of the things I think is, is important to say, I mean, sometimes... It, I, I always worry about this, that, that you're telling people to do stuff that they already do. But actually, all the time, I'm being asked by people I'm talking to online, you know, can you help with this? How would you deal with this? And I think there are lots of teachers who who actually still need support, training, encouragement to do this, even though it's not the first time they've done it. Uh, so and I, I think it'd be worth talking about some of the things. So I think there are a few sort of areas of, of, of teaching which you need to sort of rethink or, or sort of hyper emphasize because it's online and it depends on massively whether or not it's a live session where the children are there or whether it's asynchronous where you're just presenting material and then they're going to do it later or whether it's entirely remote where you're you're just communicating with them through documents and each one of those has value and even the government's, you know, the, the inspectorate in England, Ofsted, recently published a thing just yesterday saying the evidence is that online only isn't necessarily better than some, some online and a mixture. So let, let's think about some of those things. So for me, one of, the, one of the most obvious things is just checking people are there and knowing they're engaging. And there's a fantastic meme, people have probably seen it, you know, where the secondary class... The second, oh, it. I posted it. I was yeah, right. I don't know where it came from. Nine, it got nine thousand views and over four thousand retweets. It was I've, I've had that sent to me about six times from different people. <laughs> There's like the primary classroom is people saying, "My dad, look at my dad's shoe," and in all this, thing. and the secondary classroom is all just like the letter that the <laughs> the children are off camera, and you know the teachers are like, "Hello, hello." Now, so this is the first thing is. And when I do my, tra I don't want to turn this into a training session, but I, I do think that basic thing of conspicuously making children feel that they're they're present when they're present is important. So using their name, cold calling, that type of thing. And I, I've seen teachers do that really well. It's just so such an obvious thing, but it's so so important. Um, even if you're they're on microphone only and not on camera, you're saying, uh, "Ibrahim, 
you know, tell, tell me what your answer was for number five or something, even if he then types it in the chat, the fact that you have spoken to him and he's engaged. Now, ideally, you're seeing Ibrahim and he's talking to you and you're saying that. But even if he hears you and writes back, there's a communication there and you're verifying that he's there. And then you establish this idea that, oh, okay, that the teacher notices, you know, and you've got your list and you see you you see the, the people who are there. And I've seen a very simple thing, which I, I, I saw someone modeling on a YouTube clip, which was what they do at the start of the lesson. When people come on, they have a, a shared document, which everyone can see the lesson objectives on. So they come on, they come on to the, the lesson and there's the plan. And there's a box next to it where you just type in your name. And it's like, so you don't have to take the register. You just see everyone's, and it's because it's uh, like a shared document. You see the names kind of appearing of as the children come in. And that's what, the, and they know to do that every time. So I go on, I open the document, I type in my name, and the teacher can see all the names arriving. And that to me is a, such a neat idea of making it feel I'm present, I'm present, even when the, what everyone is looking at is just a document on the screen. It's just that, you know, that's, that sort of thing is ingenious, but obvious, but so powerful. Mm. And it's it's different as well being online and you don't well one of the things that I noticed as well is how much you rely on physically seeing pupils in the lesson mm. for your assessment for the pace of your lesson for you know when we're just going to stop or when we're going to go over something um I think that being able to see and connect with the pupils online is even more important than in the classroom because you pick up so many kind of nonverbal cues when you're looking at your classroom, even just, for example, when you're teaching, you'll think, oh, I've had loads of answers from over the left-hand side of the room or loads from the right, or, you know, this group here looks really puzzled with what I'm Mm. saying. You can't see that online. So it's trying to find and develop strategies for ensuring that you're really picking up on those cues because I've I've seen loads of people online saying, well, it's all about just scaffolding and doing this and good teaching is good teaching. Well, it is, but part of good teaching is seeing and picking up on the responses to your children. So actually, it's almost like we don't need to focus as much on the teaching. I don't really don't focus on the teaching, but we need to be hypervigilant about the assessment that we're getting back through the screen rather than worrying so much about what we're presenting through the screen because we know that we can teach because we can teach in a classroom what the barrier that we've got to get over is actually what we're getting back off the children because that's the bit that's not there and that's the bit that's missing that for me anyway that's what I've found is I'm not worried about how I'm going to present and how I'm going to teach I know I can do that yeah what I can't do is get back from the kids so I can scaffold as much as you like. I can teach as much as you like. I can do step by step that, you know, all of that, bit, done it for years. I can do it no problem at all. What I can't do is see into those kids. And it's difficult enough when they're sat in front of you to know what's actually going in and what they're, what they're actually thinking. To then not be able to see their faces and to rely solely on a chat bar or a little ABC thing. No, it's hard. So difficult. So difficult. I think, I think it's hard. I mean, yesterday I did a training session for um, – for the walkthroughs where we just I just presented some stuff and the way I, I just I messed it up when I when I when I set up my screen so it was no, in you, didn't. you don't mess things up Mr. <laughs> but it was in no, first, I, I set it up so it was in a full screen mode on my laptop and because I'd already started I didn't want to faff about but because I because I it was in a full screen I couldn't see myself or anybody else so I was there presenting my slide just staring at the little thing at the top thinking 
I have to trust everyone can see me uh, and, and that this is being recorded because otherwise I'm just talking at my laptop. <laughs> but you kind of, of course, it turned out fine. And when I played it back, people had been able to see me, but I couldn't tell that and I couldn't see any of them. So it was all a bit odd. You're sort of standing in a room talking at a laptop. Now, of course, that's when you're doing a presentation. But I do think this is the, this is the thing I think people need to think hard about when they're preparing is to sort of almost separate it. So what, do I need to tell them stuff, uh, you know, explain some ideas? So I, I make a video and, I, and then just show it or tell them where it is or access the fantastic tools that are in things like Oak National or on, on YouTube, all these other great places. So they just, someone else presents the information. So that's the giving the information. But then it's a kind of, okay, so what do the children then do? And of course, some of the kids won't be able to watch you live because their brother's on Zoom with their, with their class. So there's all of that. And so you have to sort of set up tasks which you can check. And this is what I've learned the most about recently. Sounds obvious, but I just think it's brilliant what people have done. My most favorite example is using shared PowerPoint slides as a notebook. Because um, you don't even need a platform for that. You don't need like Teams or Google Classroom. You can use it in those. Like Google Classroom has, has, has um, slides and Teams has got OneNote. But even if you don't have those platforms, you can set up a shared slide in say Google Slides and emailing it to it to everyone. And then they all have their own slide in, in, in which they can write in. So you set them the task and you say, you know, either name a page for yourself or you they'll find their name already in it because the teachers put them in in advance. And then they start when they're doing their work, they're doing it in the slide. And then the teacher can see everyone's work kind of arriving live. They can they can just, because it's shared, they can just dip in on each child's page and see what they've written. And it could be just a one short question or it could be a whole bit of writing. And I think that's, that's really clever. It, it, and I hadn't, I hadn't thought about that before because you could do that live during a lesson or offline, like during the week. You know, I've given you, you use this page to do your answers. And then, of course, the kids have to type though. That's the thing. There's no handwritten stuff there. Yeah, I mean, that, and that's a real issue for primary. I think a lot of these strategies work really well for children who've got secure levels of literacy or, you know, older children. I mean, my children are, what, nine, no, no, ten now. I don't know how old my kids are. Ten, seven and four, so the youngest in foundation. Yeah. Trying to do remote learning with very young children is a whole different kettle of fish. It's so how do they do their work? <laughs> how do they do it? In shifts because we haven't got three spare devices. Um, and the school's brilliant. They've sent a mixture of kind of recorded stuff by their own teacher, links to Oak National stuff, stuff that they can do with a parent, stuff that they can do on their own. So there's a real opportunity for them to do stuff as and when. And then with the children submit their work, photographs of their work, they're all completely skilled now in taking the photo and uploading it. Um, and then sometimes the teachers will just type a little comment this morning, I had a beautiful recorded comment from one of the year six teachers um, who'd recorded something for my eldest to, who'd done some work with her little brother. And she's like, I'm going to pass this on to your EYFS teacher, show them, they'll be really pleased, which is really lovely. But the thing, the point I wanted to make is with EYFS, I've had to sit with him the entire time he's had to do something. And he's a very bright little boy, but he hasn't got A, the concentration, B, the skills, 
or see the understanding of the rules and routines that are associated with with learning yet because he's only just started school and it's been massively disrupted so in terms of support for children if you're in a household where you've got very young children all these whizzy bang tricks and tips and stuff actually as a parent as a consumer of it you're a bit like doesn't really work <laughs> I still need to sit with them they still need that adult support so um I was How much work do you photograph then to submit I mean that's one of the things I'm interested in so what what do what do you take pictures of? Oh, so so my middle one had to take a photo of this phonics investigation that she'd done, and she literally holds it up to the camera, press, presses click, and then they can see that. My eldest ones had to sort of make presentations, uh, electronic presentations, and send them in, or write a piece of work, or complete a maths. Piece. They they sent home. I haven't got it actually. Um, they sent home an exercise book. There we go. They sent home an exercise book with the children at the beginning of term with all their logins and everything and they complete their work and then they just have to take a photograph of it and upload it. So it's they've still got their workbook at home, which is really useful, but it's just it's really hard work with children who've got not completely independent. Yeah, so yeah. that, that's something which you, you can't stress enough that this home learning situation for primary, especially the younger they are, the more yeah. reliant they are. So all those parents, I mean, I know lots of people who, like I work with, who when, when I say, oh, we're, we're, we're sort of back, back at home again, they say, yeah, but you have to remember that means my children are here. And they, I have to, so, and, and I think, oh gosh, yeah, of course, you know, so your children are with you at home and that's, that's the thing. It's, it, that's, that's a big issue. So I, I do think, gosh, we can't really underestimate that. And then for the teachers, I, I think for a primary class, to be honest, because you do have typically one class and it's 30 kids and, you're, you've got at least a finite number of children and therefore you can say, okay, I, I'm going to receive photographs from them. And I can, you can kind of, I guess you, you can sample that even. You don't have to look at absolutely everything, but you, with a, for a secondary teacher, which we might have say six classes and you've got, I don't know, hundred plus to get all these photos and stuff coming in, it just would be, you'd be overwhelmed with the number of different things to open. So I guess the more live and dynamic it is, like yeah. whether it's using online tools, the easier. Um, but yeah, <laughs> you've got noticed, to find... I have noticed that <laughs> some of the tasks now the teachers put, there is no need to upload any evidence for this piece of work. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> I don't blame them. You're listening to Mind the Gap, presented by John Cat Educational. Over the past six decades, John Cat has supported teachers and school leaders with research-based, easy-to-use professional development books for the entire faculty. Visit us.johncatbookshop.com in the United States or johncatbookshop.com or elsewhere across the globe to find the latest titles. I, I think that's, but I, I think this is an, another thing I was going to discuss in this whole thing is, um, there's a kind of neat, there's a, there's a neat trick teachers, I think, need to play with a kind of accountability, which is um, the checking. You need to do enough checking so that the kids feel that you'll notice if they do it or not. So that when they're working at home, they think I've got to finish this and I've got to finish that. So a simple thing like by, you know, by the end of this fortnight, here's a list of all the things you should have finished. Have you done them? And so you can tick them off. That to me as a parent or a teacher would be really helpful Like to know. I've set a list and have you done all these things? I can tell your secondary time. A fortnight's a very long time. In well, a of course, of course <laughs> it is. But you might be setting 
essays, questions. And the other thing is, if you've got lots of classes, you can't check all of them every week. So it's going to be difficult to, if you had to check off, you know, 30 kids times six activities, it would just become, so you set it at a certain frequency that, but you don't have to literally check every detail of all of that work. It's just making sure the students feel like I need to have done this because the teacher has said so and do enough checking. So they kind of, you think, oh, actually, they do notice if I don't turn up or they do notice if I haven't submitted anything. And there's the whole thing about maintaining that relationship as well. I mean, my children's school is brilliant. They've sent home Oak National stuff. They've sent home recorded bits from their own teachers. But I'll tell you what, and I, and I tweeted about it yesterday, was my middle one, she did a load of Oak National stuff. She did a load of the bit response. And then she clicked on this link and there was her teacher teaching phonics. And I'm not kidding. She jumped off the chair and went, Mommy, Mommy, look, Mommy, look, it's Mrs. So-and-so, it's Mrs. So-and-so. Look. And she was so unbelievably excited to see her teacher there. And I do think as well, especially for primary, that, they need that connection to their class teacher because it's such so a... That, was that a video that they'd made? Yeah, pre-prepared video. So they could watch, she could watch it any time? Yeah, watch it any time. It was just 10 minutes of her phonics lesson, but she was, honestly, she literally jumped off the chair with excitement just to see her teacher's face. Um, and if you're talking about motivation and attention and engagement for primary children, it's so important that they maintain that connection to their sole class teacher because they're such an important person in their lives. And it's and I see it every day. Their faces just light up when they see their own teacher. That's not to say to put pressure on class teachers to produce full content, but just to kind of be mindful of the fact that the relationship aspect is so important when for motivation, for attention, for, for basically for encouraging the children to keep on working. And then I saw a tweet this morning from a head teacher in our trust that are working. Was it last night? Yeah, last night. He said he made one of his teachers so angry she'd thrown a pen on the floor. And he went on to say <laughs> that that was because he'd walked into her classroom when she was trying to film um, some pre-recorded content. And it made me laugh at the time. And then I thought about it, reflected on it. I thought, do you know what? In a normal lesson, you wouldn't freak out if like the flip chart paper fell down or somebody walked in. It yeah. you know, the pen didn't work, you'd go, oh, for goodness sake. I do think as teachers, we're putting a massive amount of pressure on ourselves to produce kind of Spielberg-esque quality pieces of work yeah. rather than a real representation of, oh, oh, I've dropped the pen, oh, I've done this. I think so, yeah. In fact, the more human it is, you know, and I'm just doing this, I'm just going to, the more that you feel like you're just talking to the class, the, the probably the better it is, I think. You're right. I mean, some people... um you know, a bit extra on it. But I, I think, and I've seen lots of people saying this, like a simple thing like self-recording on Zoom where you, you share your slides um, and, you know, or, or you can just be on camera. You just press record and there you are. And then it's a, it's a nice simple file size and bosh, it goes up. Or whatever. I, I think that's really good. Yeah. I, I think one of the things, though, I, I think with, say, secondary, um, because what can happen is the opposite where you've got um, – like nobody is their main teacher and their form tutor doesn't teach them their subjects, say. Yeah. So who, who is the person? And you can have some children. Let's face it. This is what we talk about a lot here is imagine the child who's got like you've like even like for what, as, you, as you've described in multiple siblings. So just the simple practicalities. We can't all be online at once. Yeah. So we have to have asynchronous learning. So I can't watch the teacher live. That doesn't really work so well. Um, so I don't do any of that. 
I've got all my resources on off off the system. I'm doing my work, um, but I have to rely on that happening. And it's all nonverbal. It's all just it, week one, week two, week three, week four. It's like that contact is drifting and drifting. And there are children there who are fun, who's just like moving away. So what what they've done at, at my wife's school, I think they've they've planned this thing. They've only just decided to do this. So I don't know if it's happened yet, but to have a like a like it's almost like a fire break in the in the in the, every 10 days, like one every two weeks, one day is a break from any online delivery. Yeah. And so that the, the, the students have a day where they just have to do independent work. And the teachers can then kind of mop up stuff like just getting ready for the next cycle of days, planning, but also making the odd call to the kids who they they're thinking, where are you? You know. Yeah. And and um, where have you been? Because you haven't. And and I think that type of giving the teachers the time to do that, the planning and the contact, whereas the rest of the time they're kind of on supervising and doing more. It's really really a good idea. Because there's been some schools where they've insisted that all the content is live, or if it's not live, then it's a live equivalent in terms of recorded delivery, like six hours of recorded delivery a day. And I just think that's completely unsustainable for teachers and unrealistic for children as well, because I was thinking about um, just the normal day for us for a child even a secondary child you get up you walk you move around you move around the school you walk to the lunch hall and for younger children there's so much extra sort of play time and break times and running around we mustn't throw the baby out with the bathwater in terms of what's best for child development as well no child development specialist would say the best thing for a child to do is to sit in front of a screen for six hours solid so exactly the rush rush to kind of move our entire school day online we kind of got to recognize that a lot of our school day isn't bums on seats looking at a teacher a lot of it is you know running around playing interacting you know going to assembly walking around transitioning around the building exactly (laughs) <laughs> even, in, even in a lesson we talk about this a lot which is a funny thing which is that when they're having conversation like pastoral conversations about certain students at school which i hear you know when i when, when the zoom chats are going on and i've heard these they're talking about certain students who, who are hard to engage and they say yeah but you have to remember that when they're at school it's not like they're, <laughs> when they're in lessons they're not like you know present mentally all that time either so for them to be present for an hour and then another hour and then another hour on screen is going to kill them because that's not their normal life. Their normal life is much shorter bits of focus and then another one. That's a normal school day for kids. They switch on and off naturally as adults would. Actually, if you've ever, if you've ever spent five days following a child, in a, five hours following a child in a school, it's absolutely exhausting. Yeah, I mean, and this is oh my God, how do they cope? I don't know where this arbitrary three or four hours came from that we've got to provide for children now. But I was trying to work it out the other day about how much actual kind of teaching time would a child get normally during a day. And it's not a massive amount in terms of the teacher actually delivering stuff. So us then, there's no wonder people are finding it a struggle to suddenly fill three, four, five, six hours of delivered content because we don't normally do that. You know, you don't deliver for five or six hours in a lesson, especially in primary 
you might have the equivalent of you delivering for sort of 10 or 20 minutes and then a little bit of group work here and there. But for a lot of the lesson, the children just getting on with stuff. But I do think even in a situation, and I know people who've had, who, who see this happening in the situation where they, to be honest with you, if you, if you have, if you, if people, uh, in, in, in some independent schools, for example, where they can make the, where they've been able to make the default assumption that every single child has their own laptop. Yeah. So right, right back to March, they switched to full online learning and have all along. And they, have, they almost follow a normal school timetable every day because they can and every child is there. In those lessons, the teacher isn't on the whole time. They, they talk for five minutes like they would in a lesson, set a task, and they're there kind of, yeah. but they're not talking. They're just maybe while the students are doing their work, they're asking a question. They're they're doing a little breakout room with one student and stuff. So, I do think giving yourself the time, even say in an hour slot, to say input here, but it could be like forty minutes of practice time where you're kind of present and maybe, especially with these online shared documents chipping in. So you, people have got to be kind to themselves. Yeah. But uh, it's it's uh, I, I tell you one of the things I think is really really key in terms of the curriculum side of it is. As a parent, um, I, I remember thinking this just anyway with normal school is knowing what they're supposed to have done. Like when you're checking the kids' homework, you know, what are you supposed to have done? Well, there's a list. It's like I can't hear what the teacher said, but I've got the list, and the list says this is what they should have done. So I can say to my son or daughter, have you done this? That's what it says. And that type of checklist of stuff you should have done is is so <laughs> – more important than ever and I, and I, and I know people, that sounds so obvious to say it but I think keep focusing on that because it might be done live or on your own time but as long as you've finished everything you're supposed to you can super flex it can't you you know more about the flex Tom yeah. <laughs> my kids every day they get a timetable sent through and it's the same every day well, no, the timetable for the week is, is attached okay. to the top of the day things. So we can see roughly what we should have covered every day, but also what's coming up. And as like yesterday, my youngest had just had enough of the there were three five minute phonics things that he had to do throughout the day. Just didn't want to do the third one. He was just not in the mood <laughs> yesterday and I wasn't gonna push it. So he's done four today. So we've done them all. Um, because he really wanted to do it. But I felt able to do that as a parent because I've got the week's timetable like you say I know what's coming up I know what we've got to cover and then they've been very savvy and they've put things like if your child finishes all of this and you want some uh, some more stuff than do here's a little project that you might want to do so they've kind of neatly sidestepped that bit about you know the, there's a, a crew of parents who are saying there's far too much and then there's another crew of parents saying oh there's not enough content so they very neatly got around that by saying if you've done all of this there's also all of this you could do as well so knock yourselves out <laughs> yeah it's one of the things I made for people because I again even people sometimes assume I, I like I, I have like I teach at all my you know, at, at all levels and so I have to sometimes make stuff up as if I was teaching and one of the things I made last term was um in the summer was a thing called that I call it the universal project guide and I, I, a lot of people have downloaded it, so they obviously find it useful. So basically, it's basically the side of A4, which basically says, if you're going to do a project, this is what it should be like. And it gives guidance about, turn, so a project is like a question, something like, you know, uh, what was it like in Mesopotamia or something like that? So 
you then have to answer that question. So you have to find out about Mesopotamia and then you have to create a kind of scrapbook of images and stuff. And then you have to present a, a, a kind of report on that. And then you have to make a quiz so that your parents, you quiz your parents on whether they've, they've learned stuff from your project. And it's like, but all of that, you know, is actually quite engaging. And I, I, some of the things that my kids talk about from when they were at primary school are still those extended things that they made. So I think there is scope with this online learning world to do individual projects, provided there is a structure, which is kind of what I was trying to do there, yeah, alongside the, the curriculum coverage aspect. And it's also access to resources, not only practical or physical resources, but actually being able to get out and visit places, do things, see things that might support that project learning, which is a little bit hindered at the moment. But uh, my children just like to root around in the recycling bin and find, find things to do their projects with. They made a football pitch the other day, complete with floodlights and this, that and the other. Right. Um, and they- what, what's your view about the feedback? Because one of the things that sometimes teachers have asked me about or struggle with is um, like, okay, we've set the work, we've told the kids what to do, they're doing it, I can check they're doing it, but how do I then uh, tell them to do it better and give feedback? Uh, you know, that that in itself. So you know, the various people of, on my survey last week were suggesting things like, well, there are lots of good ideas. If it's like some some apps and stuff, whether you've um, for primary teachers saying you, you've got the photo and you kind of one of them showed me you literally just write on the photo and send it back. Um, some were doing like little voice notes on mm-hmm. an app called I think it's called Moat and other, yeah. other other voice recording apps. But then you need to know how that works, how to append it. Um, there are lots of lots of comments, things on Google Docs and all the rest of it. So there are lots of ways. And my favorite one of all was just simply set using forms, you know, Google Forms to do questions. And the, the, the students can see, you know, you can then create a list of all their answers and quite easily show them the correct answers and they can self-check. Anything the students can check their own answers is, 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 is best of all, I think. So how have you done it at home? I mean, they've, they've had all of those things pretty much. They've had sort of verbal, like voice recorded feedback. Um, my eldest has, has had like proper feedback points for pieces of work that she's done where she's had to go back and do the corrections and resubmit that. Um, and then some of them are just sort of generic feedback. Oh, that was really, you know, you've made a really lovely model. Well done. I can see you've worked hard. So there's been a real mix of kind of, encouragement and connection type feedback then there's been a specific feedback that they've had to act on some of it's voice voice recorded some of it's typed it's been a it's been a real kind of horses for courses really because there'd there'd be no point the UIFS teacher typing tons of stuff about my little one's phonics there's no point because he can't read it and it's and that's that whole thing about workload and would you do it at this level in your classroom if you wouldn't do it at this level in your classroom in normal circumstances because it would create too much work it's kind of like well don't beat yourself up if you can't maintain that level of feedback when you're also trying to learn all these new skills navigate all this new tech teach in a completely different way and actually is it helpful because like with any feedback mechanism unless it's going to actually improve either the children's kind of attention or engagement or likelihood to kind of interact with you or it's actually going to move their learning forward there's no point doing it no i agree 
In fact, for me, I mean, my, my instinct would be, and I, you know, same as other people I've spoken to as a science teacher, is I teach them loads of stuff and um, we, inter we interact and I set them work. But really, when I, the only time I know if they know it is when I set them a test because then they have to do it on their own. Mm -hmm. So you, I think that type of rhythm of, you know, we teach, 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 and then on this, this day or that day, there'll be a kind of a formative test and it could be a simple, quick, like 10 minute thing, or it could be half an hour, but whatever it is, it's those tests, which will tell you whether it's going well. And I think if you, if you have them built in throughout the, the online learning period, then everyone knows kind of how it's going. That in itself, though, Tom, doesn't that throw up a completely different dimension? Because obviously when you do a test in a class, you can control what they have access to. When yeah. you're testing somebody at home, they can have anything in front of them to help support their answer so it kind of questions the validity of the the, the score or the outcome <laughs> i guess <laughs> it does but you have to remember the situation so you're saying to the kids you know and the parents try to do the test as honestly as you can then i'll know how well you're doing and um to be honest with you in this, if, if they if they cheat or whatever then what what can you do but my experience of this stuff is that even when you're not 100% sure on the reliability, you still get enough of a sense that they're still not perfect answers and they're still getting some stuff wrong. So you've got enough material to reteach. Yeah. Of course, that's it's not how you would set up sort of public exam, but it isn't that, is it? You just have to say, honestly, do your best. And, and then there are some things you can do live. So I, wouldn't, I, I think overcooking that is hard. If I send you a test to do, and I say to you as your instructions, Give yourself half an hour, don't look at your books, and then send it back. Um, now, of course, if kids don't do that, well, you know, you have to just live with that imperfection. And you don't compare the scores. You're just trying to find out, are they learning the stuff or not? Um, and, of course, you can verify with, um, you know, in, in any lesson. So all these things are hard. So, you know, I, I think we could talk about this for ages, but it's, it's, it's amazing. I, I, I want to say, if we, if we sort of come to a, a close here, um, I was only just pointing the book at the back there. So Doug Lamov, who are, is yeah. one of our next guests. I mean, we are massively excited about this. We are yeah. soon going to be meeting uh, the total legend, Doug Lamov. <laughs> and so, I don't know if you, if it's fair to you to say, what does he say in the book? <laughs> but does he talk about some of the stuff we've just been discussing? Yeah, very much. Um, um, very much about feedback, very much about checking um, the big thing that I took from the book was about dissolving the screen. That the, the, the whole point about um, online delivery is that you're you're trying to get rid of the barrier of the screen as yeah. much as you possibly can to replicate the natural rhythm and the natural delivery that you would have in the classroom. And what he's what's really nice about the book is that he's got loads of clips to videos of people actually doing what he says. So he's kind of dissolved the page really and brought it to life because you can follow the video clip. He'll explain something, then you watch the video of it actually happening um, in real time with a real teacher in a real setting. So I absolutely loved it because it, it was incredibly comforting to know that a lot of what we're doing is actually, and I wouldn't say the right thing, but is the effective thing that we're doing. And he also reiterates that a lot of what great teaching is, is still great teaching online. You don't have to suddenly become like Bill Gates and be able to yeah. 
build these amazing platforms and do amazing things you're still the biggest resource that, that the children have you've got and it's just getting um yourself in front of them by as he says dissolving the screen so i absolutely adore the book and i can't wait to, to speak to him and it's called um Douglas and the teach like a champion team teaching in the online classroom surviving and thriving in the new normal so yeah. you don't it's have to be because- either there's that whole world isn't it you know and and i think we have to re, you know reiterate this is this is how how complicated this whole is you've got the world of the children in front of you on the screen and talking to them and then you've got the world of they're not on the screen in fact you're hoping they're doing stuff at home that you've set up for them and yeah. checking that that's being done without you seeing them do it ever is the reality for a lot of kids and that that is that is so hard so look um I think I, I, the one thing I want to say to you is, is that I just think, for example, when I put a tweet out, I was sitting here, you know, like I do all the time because with no school to go to. Uh, and who's got some ideas about this? And I just got this torrent of replies, like 300, 400 replies. And I ha- it took me ages to sort of compile it all because there were so many. And I just think, wow, isn't that just brilliant? Teachers are brilliant. They're so, it's so creative, so innovative. And of course, you know, as they say, you know, about, about, crisis leads to kind of you know the what's that what's the phrase about being the mother of invention but it's it is amazing (laughs) i just think i just think teachers are brilliant the way that people are responding but there's no question that some people are way further down the track than others and there's still a lot of kind of support that people need so well done to everyone kind of wrestling with it and and i just what's really been brought home to me over the last few weeks and of doing this the last few months really is that actually what a human profession teaching is and how much it relies on human interaction and I think that one thing that we've learned is that I don't think we would ever choose complete remote online learning because actually really effective teaching needs needs to be kind of human to human not through that device because of all the little nuances that you pick up from people people's voices people's gestures people's body language it really hammered home how skilled teachers are in kind of human interaction, not just academia and, and delivery, but actually what brilliant, blooming humans teachers are. Yeah, well. well, so let's 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 finish there. Thank you so much to everyone listening to this episode of Mind the Gap, making education work across the globe. You're doing amazing work, and we look forward to um, yours joining us for our interview with Doug Lamov and other exciting guests coming up later this. Uh, this term. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Mind the Gap. We hope you enjoyed hearing what's on our minds today. For much more great content, make sure to check out the video version of our show, which includes additional segments and features. Visit edcircuit.com or go to YouTube and subscribe to our channel, Mind the Gap with Tom and Emma. See you next time.